0: What's up, everybody? It's Thea Sam here. Welcome to Unleash The Man Within. Thank you guys so much for listening. We have a real treat for you today. We are interviewing Dean Briggs. Uh, Dean Briggs has just created one of the most incredible resources, and when I heard about what he was doing and the way it could speak to our audience, uh, it was a no-brainer. I wanted this guy on the show. I wanted him to share a little bit about his work, what he's doing, and uh, really the resource is, Yeah, totally remarkable, so let me give you a little bit of a background on who this guy is. Um, This guy is a pastor, uh, an author, and a leader in the realm of masculinity and of parenting, and specifically as it pertains to fatherhood. Uh, This guy has ministered all around the world. He's been a missionary, he's done a bunch of things. He is a father of eight, seven of those are boys, and four of those eight children are from another marriage, uh, as in he basically his first wife passed away and he had four boys with her. He then got married to another woman and she had four children, uh, three of whom were boys. And so this guy has really worked hard to be a father and to figure out what it means to be a father in this day and age. And all of that has fueled this resource he's created called, called Brave Quest. He's gonna get more into it. But basically, if you are currently a father, or you want to be a father one day, this is going to open your eyes to just the world of possibility of what it could look like to be a father. Uh, for me personally, you know, I'm not a dad yet, but I'm always thinking about it. And I want to think about what are things I can do now and what are the things I need to work on now so that I can be a good father later when that time comes. I have my future kids in mind. Some of you might already be fathers and you're looking for more resources. This is gonna give you some ideas. And some of you, you might think, well, you know, I'm kind of past that stage where I'm like, you know, really hands on with my kids because they're adults and um, that sort of thing. Trust me, this is still worth a listen. You're gonna learn a lot about fatherhood. Might give you some ideas for uh, some of the concepts you can apply to your adult children. And um, I think what's even a, a cool collateral piece of this interview is you might heal a little bit from your own experiences with your father. So you're going to learn a lot from Dean. Um, and I, I just, uh, I'm, I'm so excited to share this with you because it, this is what it's about. You know, when you guys think about gain free of, of sexual sin and pornography, of course, we know the immediate impacts that come from it in your own life and in your current situations, but sometimes it's harder to see the downstream effects. And my personal vision is that we have a generation of men who refuse to participate in any kind of sexual misbehavior and, and just thinking about the implications that could have for their children, their children's children, and their children's children. And I, I think there's um, just an arena of possibility that comes from that. And Dean and I are very aligned in that messaging as you're going to see. So without further ado, here's my interview with Dean Briggs. Great. Well, I'm here with Dean Briggs, uh, author of Brave Quest. It's a real treat to have you here, Dean. Thanks for making some time. Thank you. It's great to be with you. So I want to jump right into this because you have put it on your shoulders to address a very dicey and important issue in our society today. We're talking about fatherlessness and the impacts there. Uh, maybe just uh, to give the audience a little bit of a frame of reference. Why have you taken it upon yourself to talk about the subject?
1: Well, it's yeah, it's a great question. I uh, I've always cared deeply, at a spiritual level, as a pastor and as just a, a son of God, a, a disciple of Jesus, about uh, the the issue of sonship, mm-hmm. our our relationship to our heavenly Father, and how He delivers us from slavery and shame and orphaned lives into. You know, the family of God. so those are those have been deep uh passions of mine for a long, long time. But then you know the Lord tells our story in ways that were meant to draw clues and understand our purpose. And over the course of time, I have had seven sons. so wow. I uh, I had four boys with my late wife when she passed away. Uh, they were all under the age of eleven. And then I remarried a young widow who also had four kids, three boys and one girl. So I have seven sons and one daughter, and I'm a father and a stepfather. And so it's the Lord has just arranged my life in a way that this issue of sonship is constantly before me. And I realized I needed to, to help my sons Enter their own story well. They were mm. born male, but that doesn't mean they're born a man. Um a, 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 a boy is born male, but he becomes a man. Mm. And I wanted
0: to help them become men. That is remarkable. So uh, you you talk about this in a lot of your content, this whole kind of fatherlessness epidemic that is in our society and we've had jay valentin uh from bethel here talk about that a little bit we just had ken harrison from promise keepers uh a couple weeks back and he's really hitting on that but i would love to hear your take as well because uh there's a lot of different facets to this what why is fatherlessness such a big deal and and i guess maybe more importantly on the flip side why is the presence of a good loving emotionally present father so important for a family and for culture
1: well, you know, it, it right off the bat, it has to be said it takes two. the the importance of a father does not in any way diminish the importance or significance of a mother, just like the importance of a mother doesn't diminish the importance of a father, right. But it's but uh, it, it is easier to see the faithfulness of mothers, the tenacity of mothers, uh, the 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 plight of the single mother is obvious. The plight of the absent father isn't always as clear. True, uh, the the virtues of a woman and her devotion to her kids come out in those scenarios. But whether it is you know economic conditions that are driving fathers away, incarceration rates, crime, or 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 just the problem of men not being connected to what matters, mm. chasing other dreams, chasing other pursuits, uh, fathering illicitly and carelessly uh, without being present then to raise their children. God made it. The divine image, if you will, beginning in Genesis 1, is God is realized. The divine math is 1 plus 1 equals 1. We can't really know what God is like without a man and a woman. Mm. And uh, in that sense, the Father is such an initiator He's the initiator of relationship, most typically. He's the initiator of procreation, most typically. He's the he's the uh the impulse, if you will. A man and a woman are just sculpted differently, physically and emotionally. And that that uh that impulse to create is uh is, is a is a a token, if you will, of his significance. Right. He, if a man's not initiating and, and, and then following through a part of God is missing in the equation. Mm. And and we see in culture that uh, all of culture is striving to do two things, uh, turn uh, uh, girls into boys and boys into girls. They're trying <laughs> yeah. to blur that line, Right. all the gender fluidity, uh, sexual dysphoria, All of that is trying to erase the image of God, but there's also this cultural narrative of toxic masculinity that is trying to devalue and drive away the the goodness of the strength of a man and the role of a father in society.
0: Yeah, and I I think everybody listening would agree. Those messages are everywhere now, and I'm in Canada where I I think some people would make an argument that we're, we're a little bit further down the the lethal trail that is um just all those conversations so what what does it actually look like because i think the the toxic masculinity like there's elements of it where i'm like yeah that is actually like men need to be better and then i think the pendulum just swung way too far um in classic human fashion and now we're you know there's typical male attributes that now we're kind of demeaning and defacing Um, i imagine there's a, a a center of this where it's like this is what a healthy man actually looks like and i'm wondering if you can answer the question in the context of what you said earlier which is that it is one thing for us to be biologically male it is another thing for us to become a man Um, and you talked about instilling that even in your own boys all seven of them as they grow up what does that actually mean what does it mean for somebody to not just be a male biologically but to actually become a man
1: well i mean that's that I think we need uh, like a two-hour show to talk about that. So, But but I'll, I'll, I'll <laughs> yeah, summarize. Yeah, go
0: high-level maybe, yeah.
1: I, I think uh, there are classic virtues that we generally associate with the feminine and the masculine, and these have been true over thousands of years. Uh, certainly, there are cultural abnormalities. Hmm. There are matriarchal cultures and patriarchal cultures, and you can point to either one, the excesses or the strengths of each, and try to... Uh, uh, prove a point out of the exception to the rule right but for thousands of years civilizations have been built on the strength of women being women and men being men and we have many great examples of strong men unfortunately every strong man comes with weaknesses yeah. and very often our strengths are expressed in the flip side as weaknesses. Yes. Yes. So the willingness to defend and protect can also be expressed as uh, uh, selfishness or domination. Yeah. And, and yet, if you if you uh, crush the one strength for the sake of not having the vice, the if you if you crush the strength to not have the the problem side. You end up with uh, men that can't protect, can't serve, can't defend, and this is a greater problem, if you will. It's often lost in the conversation of toxic masculinity that uh, it takes a strong good man to stand against a strong bad man. And a strong Mm -hmm. bad man has no qualms about using his strength for domination, selfishness, oppression, injustice. A strong bad man you uh, will use women in sex trafficking, use children in slave labor. A strong bad man does all kinds of bad things with his strength, and you mm. can't appeal to his reason to change his ways. You have to have a strong good man willing to stand against that man. Okay. And so there's just the the entire issue of justice in the earth is grossly simple oversimplified and complicated when we deny the strength of men and then raise virtuous men to be
0: strong yeah wow yeah that was that was worth it for just that little nugget right there very very insightful so okay um in your book i know you talk about cowardice shame and temptation and Um, my understanding is these are things that will often stop a man from becoming the virtuous man, from being the strong man. Um, Shame and temptation, we talk about a ton on the podcast, and I'm really happy for you to touch on them. I, again, would love to hear your take. I'm particularly interested, though, in cowardice and uh, how that ties into all this. So, I I mean, by all means, you're welcome to touch on all three, but uh, we can do a deep dive on cowardice, maybe.
1: Well, I I think um, C.S. Lewis said, that courage is the virtue that undergirds every other virtue. So uh, courage is almost not a virtue in and of itself. It is the servant of every other virtue. There are times where love is risky. There are times where war is dangerous. There are times where humility can feel uh, uh, like a loss or a weakness. And yet if you have the courage to be humble, the courage to love and the courage to fight, when the fight is appropriate and justified, then th- that's the the adrenaline gland, if you will, of every other virtue. So, uh, you know, kind of piggybacking your last question and this question, I don't know that we have a more perfect example of what true masculinity looks like than Jesus. In mm-hmm. fact, I know we don't. Jesus represented the whole gamut If men were actually strong the way Jesus was strong, if they were virtuous the way Jesus was virtuous, if they were committed the way Jesus was committed, and and discerning and sensitive and wise and caring, he was the whole package. And so you saw him uh, uh, react with strength and uh, vigilance in Mm. the face of religious leaders and others who were hurting people, who were oppressing people. He didn't back down from that. But in in other situations with children or with women who were so marginalized in society, he would take a soft initiative towards them. He would welcome them. He would say, don't stop them from coming to me. He would start conversations where others wouldn't start conversations, and he would treat them with dignity and respect. In the end, Jesus Said, really, if you want to be great, be the servant of all. So he never he never castigated or challenged ambition in his men, he simply guided them in the expression of it. That's good. When, when yeah. they said, How do we be great? He didn't say that's a terrible idea. You you're you're being selfish and ambitious, ambitious and carnal. No, he said, actually, I want you to want to be great. Here's how be a mm-hmm. servant. And so when, when meekness or other qualities are described, Jesus was described as meek. Uh, 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 when, when, when he described himself as meek, that word meek doesn't mean weak. It means power and strength bridled. So Hmm. with our sons, with our men in society, again, this toxic masculinity is trying to create a safe man by making a weak man. What we actually need is strong men who have a sense of uh, the courage it takes and the virtue it takes to bridle that strength in service of others, in service of, of noble causes in service of their families, in service of their wives, in service of their children, we mm. do that, and and nobody's going to complain about strong men because the benefit of the, that strength is being applied to the betterment of the world in every way.
0: Yeah, and I think that's been the issue is is people um, maybe haven't bridled their their strengths uh, or men in particular, and so people are not seeing the the benefits; they're seeing the expense and the cost. And I think you're right if this is done. Properly and appropriately, then actually there's not going to be any complaints just as a point of clarification is is cowardice in this context then when people are failing to our men are failing to be courageous and to express that courage in whatever the channel may be or what? How does cowardice? How could it stop somebody in this arena?
1: Yeah, you know, I think um I think if you go back to your your school days, maybe junior high, and there's the classic bully scenario. Uh, most bullies we know aren't actually brave, courageous, and strong. They're very, very weak internally, intimidated. Nice. And they they mask their cowardice. They don't want anyone to see the real coward that lurks within. And so they dramatically overcompensate with a show of strength that, that hopefully causes no one to ever challenge hmm. the, the, the house of cards that is their soul. So there's reasons for that. They probably weren't modeled by their fathers. They probably went through trauma or abuse or other situations. But a bully appears strong and is really a coward. Mm. In in all kinds of ways, men can be cowards. We can be emotional cowards turning to pornography. We can be... uh, um, uh, um leadership cowards when we demand that others serve us rather than using our leadership gifts to serve others. Mm. There are all kinds of ways we turn the equation and act cowardly by, by not following the classic virtues and the work of the Holy spirit within that really wants us to be men, but to be strong and humble in equal measure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I guess what I'm hearing you say is, uh, like two virtues that are standing out loud and clear are the virtue of courage um and then i guess the virtue of uh being a servant or or that servant-hearted approach are there any other virtues that that you're observing that you're saying if you're if you as a man are going to become virtuous you're really going to become a strong man in today's society and your intent is to raise strong men your own boys or whatever that might look like for somebody um like i said courage Servant heartedness, are there any other virtues that come to mind, Dean, that you say this has to be top of the list?
1: Well, I think um uh, again, you're asking such great questions. It would be great to have a panel of you know, five guys discussing this because there's there's ten good answers, yeah, uh, but what's coming to mind right now is I think um i'll I'll call it forthrightness. Truth speaking. Mm, Uh, Right. Society is pressurized in such a way now. Cancer, cancel culture is measuring every errant word that doesn't line up with the virtue signaling of a a broken culture. And so, uh, whether you get deplatformed on YouTube or you lose book sales, or you're mocked by the dominant media or whatever it is, or just within your friend circle. Yeah. You take a stand in certain areas and you're going to be you know, shown the left foot of fellowship. <laughs> uh, and so I, I think having uh, men that are grounded in truth and able to articulate the truth fearlessly mm. and let the cost be whatever the cost is, it's actually part of the things, uh, one of the things I do in, in, in Brave Quest, uh, one of the challenge ideas I give fathers when they go out uh, in their, you know, two or three days, it kind of culminates with two or three days with their son and the father out roughing it. And I have this real simple, I, I have a, a list of challenge ideas that are low cost, uh, 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 just ways to kind of shape and test your son in this rite of passage and that's really what brave quest is all about but one of the things is i call it the loud shout and so uh you know after 50 days of going through the book my son goes through the book and he he learns all the the things he's about to face in his teen years yeah then we go out finally i've gone water skiing with my sons, jet skiing, dog sledding, whitewater rafting, camping, hiking, all all that stuff, each one I tried to do something different with, but with each one on our way out of town when I stop at the gas station to get gas, there's just enough people around. As we're getting gas, I tell my son, I want you to stand on the top of the car and yell out, I am not afraid. Now, for a 13-year-old boy, that can be pretty intimidating, right? Because yeah. they're going to be looked at strangely. Other people aren't going to understand them. They're going to be, they're going to feel like the center of attention they don't want. And they don't actually feel unafraid. Yeah. But I tell them, get up there and and shout as loud as you can, I am unafraid. And then later that night, I tell them, go to a quiet place in the woods where no one is around and no one can hear you. And I want you to whisper. I am unafraid. And then I call him back and I say, now, why did I have you do that in public? And why did I have you do it in private? And the, the point, as you can imagine, is because a man has to let his presence be felt and his convictions be heard and not fear the the opinions of others. Mm. And he has to be the same in private as he is in public.
0: Wow. Wow. Okay, that's cool. That is really cool. And we will. I, I do want you to talk a little bit more about Brave Crest a little bit later because uh, the way you've designed this and set this up is is really unique. And um, I imagine people listening are probably a little bit more intrigued now that you've explained that challenge. That's pretty cool. Um, let's talk a little bit. Th- this podcast is focused on you know guys that are struggling with sexual sin or looking to really clean up this area of their lives and. I think when we get deeper into people's stories, uh, typically the family dynamic comes into the picture at some point. Uh, Maybe it's that the parents didn't talk about sex. Uh, Maybe it's that the parents actually talked too much about sex. You know, we have some guys where it's like, yeah, my dad like tried to get a hooker for me when I was like 13 years old. You know, people grow up in different environments. uh, But I think we can all agree fatherhood certainly plays a role in our sexual development and um, and also plays a role in our sexual dysfunction later on, if that is the case. And I know that you're probably talking to a handful of dads, at the very least, Dean, who are saying... Um, I want to do this better for my kids. I, I want to I want to be able to have the conversations. I want them to feel safe to ask me questions. I want them to uh, know about my mistakes so that they can avoid them, um, all that kind of stuff. And I, I guess I'm just curious, like what is your top advice or what? how do you guide people who are reaching that stage and who want to raise boys that are healthy in this particular area of life?
1: Well, I think the father has to be resolved uh, and clear-minded in a couple of ways. Okay. Uh, first off, we live in the most sexually saturated society uh, imaginable, and when I was coming of age myself—elementary, uh, junior high, high school—there was still a, a degree of shame attached to pornography. For example, it was hard to come by. It was in you know print form wrapped in plastic at the yeah. back of yeah. the 711 the cd area of uh, the convenience yeah. store and, and, yeah yeah and so it was it was kind of scandalous and difficult because there was an appropriate sense of cultural shame associated with it and i'm not trying to uh, uh heap shame on those who struggle i'm just saying the the moral code was such that it was properly viewed as not uh, uh normative mm Now it's so easily accessible uh, uh, and and so uh, common and so routine in conversation, the way young people talk about it. There's no sense. I would have been mortified to have some of the conversations that kids talk about now. And so I think the father, first of all, has to be clear eyed. There is a war on for their son's soul. Mm -hmm. There's a war on for their soul as a man and for their son's soul and to look at it as, well, this is just the way it is. And this is just how life is, is to normalize it in a way that doesn't put you in the game. You've got to see this as a war. Number Mm -hmm.
0: one,
1: number two, you've got to be willing to have hard, candid, awkward conversations. You you, you just can't avoid that. I mean, this is where we, you know, men have to be men, the strength of a man isn't just outward, it's inward in moments like this. You can't say, Well, that's just too hard. I don't know how to talk about it. Sorry, buck up, man up. You've got to do it. That's mm. part of, you're you're the, the son's dad. You're yeah. the father. You're the grown up. He doesn't know how to ask for that help. And he probably won't. Yeah. You have to be more mature and more courageous. Don't be the coward. Talk yeah. to your son. Yeah. Number three is make hard decisions. Listen, we're putting, I'm going to be explicit here, but if we're using like the book of Revelation as an example, I don't want to hand my son the whore of Babylon in a smartphone with all the access he's going to have beginning at 10, 11, 12 years old. His friends are going to be telling them, have you looked at this? Have you looked at this? And all of a sudden, Pandora's box is exploding out of a device that I don't care how many filters and things you put on it, they're going to know a way to break it. You've got to make hard decisions. Does your son really need a smartphone at 10 years old? No, it's not (laughs) worth the risk. Right. With our kids, we didn't give them a smartphone. We didn't give them a phone, a cell phone until they were 16 and driving. Well, your kids are going to be like, that's so unfair. I can't, you know, you're torturing me. You're, well, okay. You're the dad. You're the mom. These are hard decisions, but it's a war and your child's soul is on the
0: line. Wow. Really, really good. Let me ask you a little bit more about that. Um, how how do you handle the, the pushback? So obviously I know like you have to be resolute. Like you're saying people have to be, you have to understand what your decision is and why it is. Um, and this kind of ties into the question about even just raising kids healthy uh, in a healthy way sexually. How do you communicate to kids the value, your own kids, the value of what it is you're doing for them, even when they don't understand? And I, what I want to tack on this is the whole subject around pornography, um, because I think for the, the 13, 14 year old brain that is, you know, on devices, whether it's their own or elsewhere, there is the risk they're going to get exposed to pornography. And I think uh, what a lot of parents who come to me, I'm not a parent, so I don't try to you know pretend and understand that area. But what a lot of parents, when they do come to me and they're, they're talking to me, they're saying, I just don't know how to explain to them the long-term consequences of what they're doing. And I guess I'm just curious, is, is that part of your explanation when the kids going, dad, this is so unfair. Everybody else has a phone Um, or whether the conversation is like, why is porn such a problem? Um, There's obviously maybe more of a moral element to that second question, but how do you convey some of these things when you're having those conversations?
1: Yeah. uh, Great questions. You know, I think the, the home dynamic is such a variable in this are the husband and wife uh, on the same page. Do they have a good relationship? Are they modeling healthy things? Sure. Is it a a broken home or a uh, a desperate situation where there's all kinds of other risk factors and vulnerabilities? And frankly, there's things higher on the priority list than that issue, and so it's not going to get the attention it deserves anyway. And it's there's a variety of challenges there, Uh, but I think the classic parenting line why do i have to do this because i told you so it 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 applies in certain areas where you can't really expect a 12 year old to understand the dopamine cycle and <laughs> the power of addiction right and so to reason the the way through with them well son sit down let me explain this to you you can try to talk about you know simpler examples remember that one time i let you eat all the candy you wanted and you got sick and threw up well this is that in a way that you can't understand Mm. but even those examples aren't gonna really because that kid actually would do that again if he could yeah probably yeah you know so you can't reason your way through some of this with an assumed level of experience that only comes with time age and experience
0: yeah Right,
1: and so th- that's where you just have to be strong, and you have to say. I think of uh, Corey Ten Boom tells the story with her father. One time, she was asking a question as a little girl about sex, and uh, you know what it was, and and how to understand it, and and she clearly didn't understand any of it. Mm. And her father set down a heavy piece of luggage, and said, "Corey, would you carry this for me over here?" And she tried to pick it up, and she couldn't she said, it's too heavy. He picked it up and said, do you see how I can carry this? And you can't. Can you trust me that there is a day when you will be able to carry it? And that will be the right day for you. But until then, let me carry this for you. Hmm. I think that's the kind of uh, parenting requires thick skin. It requires a willingness to not be your kid's friend, but to be their shepherd their overseer their boss their parent their caretaker their disciplinarian you'll get to be their friend someday but at Mm. that age you're their dad yeah and you got to make dad decisions
0: yeah and you just used a a key word that was coming to mind as I i was hearing your explanation which is trust and i think it it what One of the things, that at least I was hearing, maybe just implied is if you have a track record of looking out for your kid, doing things that maybe they don't understand, they don't agree with, but later on they see the value or whatever, and if just relationally we're doing some of the things that you're talking about, being courageous, being servant hearted in the way we lead our families, then in those moments where you can't get the explanation across and you're saying, you just have to trust me, like like even in that example with Corrie Tenenboom. Um I I suppose if you have that trust built up, it's a lot easier to say, just trust me that this is the right thing and kind of hold your ground and actually yield a positive result. Would that be fair? Fair to say?
1: Yeah, you know, you're touching on some of the nuance of it, which is so important. A dad can't just be the strict authoritarian issuing decrees from some remote world where he's not actually emotionally connected to his son right. he's not invested he hasn't coached his son's soccer game he's he's working all the time he's never present not having hard conversations not having good conversations not pouring into his son and then all of a sudden tries to do something something like that mm. and and the trust isn't there the relationship isn't there yeah that's the that's the seedbed of rebellion A a father has to go the extra ice cream when you're tired, roughhousing with them all the time and things that I'm assuming in the process that a dad should be. It's not some strict rule, authoritarian structure, Mm. but it is a guideline that the son, even if he doesn't like it, there's some sort of connection to his dad where he could at least receive it as this is in my best interest, whether I understand it or not. Yeah. And the older he gets, the harder that is, which is why you've got to really do a lot of work up to age 13 hmm. to make sure they're going through their teen years with that level of trust.
0: Yeah. Anything in particular that that parents should be doing in those first 13 years or things they should be focused on? Is it just the stuff we've been talking about? Like like being being integrous and uh being courageous and you know. I mean, I think kids can perceive when you have their best interests in mind. I don't know is there is there anything in particular that that you recommend in those those earlier years?
1: Well, I mean again there's 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 fifty of them, right? yeah, so you uh, i, I there's there's just so many, but two or three come to mind, okay, how the man treats his wife is going to set the stage for how the son views women. so you can't. Uh, a man needs to romance his wife. He needs to use tender words with her. He needs to be thoughtful and demonstrate, uh, all those qualities that he wants then his son to see. This is why we don't want to go down a path that, you know, uh, pornography or sexual, um, uh, sexual sins can lead to, uh, there, there there's a way that we interact with our wives uh, there's a way you need to view your mother, your sisters, and all of that yeah. feeds into the value system for his own dating life. There's there's other things though, like you know, when I made mistakes, I didn't do it perfectly. But when I made mistakes, either I overcorrected or undercorrected or missed something or made a rule that you know ignored. Three other factors, and they brought that to me and said, "Hey, what about this? Because this didn't make sense." Mm. Apologize, own it, say, "You know what? I I I, I missed that. I, I would you please forgive me? I, that was mm. wrong of me to do." You gain equity by also being flexible in an appropriate way. But yeah. you, if you start flexible without yeah. a spine, <laughs> it's a problem. you got to have a spine and then you can be flexible. And so, uh, uh, you know, the integrity of an apology adds to the equation as well. And then it's just all that stuff that a dad needs to do. There's days you're going to come home from work and you're going to be too exhausted to do much. But most days you walk in the door, you tackle your kids, you play with them, you roughhouse, you take them off mom's hands, give her a break. And, you know, go to the park, throw the football, you know, you celebrate your daughter in a certain way, you roughhouse with your son a certain way, and all of those are part of all those building blocks are preparing you for the credibility you're going to need in your teen years, in their teen years.
0: Yeah, I love that. So uh, I wonder if you can put on your prophetic goggles for a minute. And when you look ahead, you obviously you would not have created the resource you've created if you didn't have some vision for the future and for addressing some of this fatherlessness that is so prevalent in North America, especially. Um, where, where do you see this going? And uh, are are we just are we doomed? You know, did we go too far in the fatherlessness realm that there's no turning back, and we're gonna have to live with this for centuries before we could ever recover? Or can one generation turn this thing around? Um, that's kind of my first question. And the second part, I guess, is when this generation or when the future generations turn things around, what could we expect? What what kind of things are going to change in our society as a result?
1: Well, I definitely do not think we're doomed. I think. Um, Know Malachi 4 5 and 6 is the classic passage that God is going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. Mm. The spirit of Elijah that goes forth, uh, Jesus said John the Baptist was a picture of that, but we know there's this prophetic promise hanging over every generation, but especially I believe the generation of the Lord's return. There is, uh Romans, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. If we are in a period of uh, the the civilization level threat of fatherlessness or absentee fathers, and those aren't that different, mm. you can be in the home as a father, but so absent the home is practically fatherless. Mm. So uh, uh, the the toll of that on children and the disconnect with men. All the all the subsequent problems, those are levels of sin and consequence that we can focus on and see the pain and the peril. And yeah, it's it's an ugly path forward. We're already reaping those consequences in such dramatic ways. And yet, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. I am firmly convinced that the Lord has a tremendous outpouring of mercy in his heart an outpouring of the holy spirit an outpouring of the spirit of adoption by which we cry out abba father romans 8 yeah. and that thing touches us it breaks the orphan spirit in adult men they turn their hearts to their children the children have have uh become so jaded and cynical in so many ways they have Uh, They're they're actually emotionally and spiritually desperate for that connection in ways they have convinced themselves they aren't. They're Mm. hardened and cynical, but actually that has left a wide open door when fathers do come flooding in. It's going to be two highly polarized magnets, the North and South Poles firmly attaching to one another in ways that is is going to be explosive and redemptively stunning mm. as the Lord does this in different ways. He's raising it up in men's ministries. He's raising it up in the home. He's raising it up in children. I believe Gen Z and the Alpha Generation are, are prototypes of the peril, but they're also being prepared and conditioned to truly desire it. And turn dramatically as the Lord
0: moves. Wow, I love that. Yeah, very compelling. Uh, what what kind of changes do you think people could expect in society? Because we know that uh, fatherlessness is affecting politics, education. It's affecting really like all arenas of society. Obviously, you know, religion, spirituality included. Um, what What do you think would change? what What would society look like if um Gen Z uh, Alpha Generation start to really get a hold of this and we start to see things heading in the right direction?
1: Well, um, i I do think there is a, a generational timeline here mm. where if if a true spirit of revival pours out, that's a game changer. That, that can change things, you know, overnight or over a couple of years in a society. Lacking that, uh, then just the, the the process of Malachi 4, 5, and 6 might take a decade or two. It's hard to imagine that we have that kind of time because the slide down the slope is so precipitous.
0: Mm, but I true. know
1: that the Lord has a solution and a plan. And so I believe... Uh, with Gen Z and Gen Alpha, there's actually, as I see it, from the Boomers to Gen X to Millennials to Gen Z, there are certain things that are not actually properly aligned yet. I'm I'm a Gen Xer. I believe there's alignment coming between Gen X and Boomers that has been lacking, between Mm. Gen X and Millennials that has been lacking. And invisibly, these are like spiritual gears in the in the workings of the world when those things start to line up and each generation is properly fueling the next i think there's dramatic leverage and power for sudden change yeah and i think we will see uh, uh policy changes institutional changes but very likely if we are uh, in a more eschatological prophetic frame of mind it's going to be uh, 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 a deepening of darkness and a flowering of light. It's going to yeah. be both. Yeah. The 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 ripening of the wheat and the tares. I don't know that it's a complete social transformation where everything is saved, but it will become so glorious in the family unit that many will be drawn to that, and many regions and nations and cities will be transformed by those dynamics. And others that continue to reject and neglect will slip deeper into darkness, and it will be plain, the value of God's ways versus the kingdom of light versus the kingdom of darkness.
0: Yeah, I, I love that. And I think it's all the more reason for the people who are listening. I hope you're hearing what Dean's saying. This is all the more reason for us to do our part right now because we can be we could be that that turning point, you know, that catalyst that kind of gets things heading in that direction and lays a foundation for the future generations to keep building and building and advancing the kingdom of God in these areas. So uh really, really cool. We don't do this with a lot of our guests, Dean, but your resource is so unique that I didn't want this to just be like, a, "Tell us about your resource where people can find out." Um, I want to, I wanted you to just go a little bit more in depth into it because you you chose a more allegorical approach, and I think there was a lot of wisdom behind what you did. You clearly thought this through. Uh, let's start high level. Why why did you do this instead of just writing a, t- a classic seven steps to being a better father or changing fatherlessness or something? Why choose the more story kind of approach.
1: Yeah, great. So um, as I said, I found myself uh, at age 36 with seven sons, and uh, I was a father and a stepfather. And as a cultural observer, you know, now this is uh, a decade and a half ago, a couple decades ago, I'm seeing the trajectory. I can't ignore that God has entrusted me. I think every every man with a son should realize he's been entrusted with the next generation of leadership right and and that's a that's a sober and solemn entrustment from the Lord. And absolutely women can lead I'm not that I'm not I'm not trying to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. I'm saying by default, a man has to exert certain kinds of leadership over the course of his life. And for a father of seven sons, I'm thinking what do I do about this? Most boys don't like to read. Most conversations about where they're going in their teenage years are hard to have in one sitting. Hmm. How do you engage them in their own journey in a way that they feel like they're the owners of it and the shapers of it? I, uh, I've, I've written fiction. I have a five part young adult fantasy series called the legends of character. It's out. And so I, I, I'm in that war. I'm in that space. I grew up reading that. I know as a young boy, reading the Lord of the Rings, reading the Chronicles of Narnia. I love that epic storyline, the fantasy adventure. And so I'm just putting these pieces together. Now I'm a dad. Mm. I've written fantasy fiction. I have sons. And how can I boil that down to something that's not just a story to read, but an experience to be had? Mm. I knew I wanted to have a kind of christening ceremony. I wanted to uh, usher them into manhood with a rite of passage. Uh, Cultures for thousands of years have been decisive in uh, uh, picking a point in time, typically age 13, where they have their young men cross from boyhood into manhood. Now, a 13-year-old boy isn't fully a man, but there needs to be a point in time, like Paul said, where when I became a man, I put away childish things. When I was a boy, I talked like a boy, thought like a boy, acted like a boy, but when I became a man. So there needs to be a point where we welcome them into the company of men, the trajectory of manhood, and they can start to feel, okay, I'm not just expected to act like a boy anymore. I'm expected to act and think like a man. Yeah. Cultures have always done that, but modern culture has no such rites of passage like that for our sons. Now, a, a, a young lady, her body is more expressive in that way. A young lady, when she crosses a certain line in age, the menstrual cycle kicks in, her body more obviously matures in certain ways. And, and that is a clear signal that she has crossed from girlhood into the potential of womanhood. Right. And that is rightly celebrated also. But it typically, a girl matures physically, emotionally, verbally, and relationally before boys. Yeah. A girl at age 12, 13 is a different animal than your typical 15, 16-year-old boy. Yeah. <laughs> On top of which... Now we have added all the technology, all the accessibility that is delaying the process of maturity. You have 50 years ago, uh, the uh, average age of a married man was 22 years old. He likely grew up in an agricultural setting with his dad. My father-in-law worked a farm with his father, was up at 5 a.m. every day on a tractor at 8 years old. (laughs) There were responsibilities just to daily life. They were in the press of, what is a man? I'm doing it every day with my dad all through their teen years. There wasn't excess time. There wasn't excess money. The cultural decadence of today, most kids have far more access to what I couldn't have even dreamed of in my teen years, in my 20s that they have at age 10 access to or is routine to them. And so the 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 rights of passage now are you can get a driver's license you can vote you can uh buy a beer you can go to war and you can lose your virginity right and all of those are actually purely time based they don't have anything to do with maturity mm. So there's, there's something in a boy, in a man, that is type A, object-oriented, focus and achievement, goal-oriented. Yeah. Men don't actually like participation trophies. We're doing a huge disservice. I think I'm taking longer on this answer than you may want, but it's no, important.
0: No, this is good, Dean. Keep going. <laughs>
1: so, so men are goal-oriented. They want a sense of achievement. A rite of passage needs to provide that. There yeah. needs to be a sense of challenge, of overcoming, of testing. Yeah. By the end of that, they don't want to be handed the participation trophy and say, "Well, you're a man now. You crossed this age. You got your license. You got your you know whatever." No. Uh, that's why these challenge ideas and other things I built it in, and yeah. so I wanted to have the christening ceremony, but I wanted the son, my sons, to be preparing leading up to it. So what I did, kind of combined these multiple disciplines, I wrote this book called Brave Quest. It's 50 days of just two or three pages each. Every reading is quite small. So even someone who doesn't like to read can read it. Two or three pages a day, but it's also interactive. So I actually have a copy of the book here. I'll show you. Sure. You can see on the book, my name isn't on it. This is Brave Quest, a boy's interactive journey to manhood. And right on the inside page, there is a space for them to write their name. They're the Mm. author of the book. Because over the course of the the 50 days, every reading is a little bit Lord of the Rings. It's set in a fantasy world. A little bit John Bunyan, Pilgrim's Progress. It's allegorical. They're going to go through certain areas and circumstances and meet different characters and get different tools They go through, you know, the cliffs of cowardice, the hall of shame, the valley of curves. Interestingly, the valley of curves is all about facing uh, that awakening awareness. Hey, girls don't have cooties. They're actually kind of pretty. And they're they're the valley of curves, right? You're starting to notice their shape. Uh, uh, they, they meet a, a seductive woman named Miss Terry. Mystery, right? Uh, this a okay. woman, Miss Terry, who is attempting to seduce them with her beauty. And they have to work through, why am I being tempted here? What is beautiful about a girl? What is dangerous about this stage? Mm. And actually in the book, they succeed at resisting the sexual advances of Miss Terry, but they fall in the seduction of pornography and then they get bound up in the hall of shame and they have to learn how to escape that and be mm. delivered from that and they go to a place called adverse city and they sail on hardship with captain destiny and they go they have all these uh 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 you know they get caught in uh uh the the castle the palace of pleasure and they meet the assassin twins jade and scoffer And so every day is a new location, a new challenge, a new threat, a new virtue to be learned, a new struggle to overcome. And for 50 days, they do that. But then it culminates. I encourage fathers, while your son is going through the book, plan a two or three day getaway. You want to rough it. This is what I was talking about earlier. I give them challenge ideas I give them, uh, you know, the full, I map it out, the camping schedule, the packing list. I make it easy. If dads have a desire to do this, but they don't know how to do it, I make it easy. You can just download the free resources and I'll lay it out for you. All of that thing culminates on the final day. You come back from the camping trip, you got five, 10 guys there. And now this is the final threshold. Your son has completed the Brave Quest 50 days, the three days with you out somewhere in the woods with these different challenges, talking through hard stuff. And you come back with the five or 10 guys and they're pouring in words of wisdom. They're giving gifts. You eat man food, you know, steak and potatoes. And you have the sword and unite your son. And I'm telling you, the, the, the men that you will gather for this will have more tears in their eyes than your son will, yeah. because all of them are so touched by what is happening. And they realize this is what I didn't get from my dad. Yeah. And so they're pouring into your son. I've had, I, I tell all those men, I told them, give a costly gift to my son and tell him why it matters and welcome him into manhood. And they feel honored by this. I've had my sons receive spears from the Maasai tribe in Africa, the Maasai warriors, stars named after them, special (laughs) knives and gifts. And and then each man will say, this is why, this is the part of manhood you need to know. This is Mm. the part of manhood that I've learned in my own life. And it's this glorious 50 plus day journey Mm. where they really experience what they're going to face They're getting bonded to their father and they're welcomed into the company of men. I would end all of those in front of all those men. I would embrace my son when it came to my time to speak over his life. And I would say, gentlemen, you are about to welcome my son. I want you to know this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Wow. And it is this powerful time that then sets their feet on solid footing for their teen years uh so yeah that that's the system the book is the beginning it's for the sun but the brave quest experience is download free tools if men go to mybravequest.com mybravequest.com you can sign up there I'll download uh, I'll, uh you, you can download the father's field manual the planning kit the the summons letter that starts it all you buy the book, you download the free resources. It's a turnkey system.
0: Okay, fantastic. That that is amazing. And what I love is that this resource is actually targeting the sons because I think um, it gives the the dads a chance to not have to have the perfect words to say or the right frameworks. You've done all the heavy lifting here, Dean. So we'll put links to all this in the show notes. I, I want um, I want our guys to go get that um this has been amazing i have two final questions or one final question for you which is um i think uh often fathers will hear these kinds of resources they'll hear stories and they'll say that's great for you but uh maybe they're in unusual situations maybe they don't have regular custody of their kids uh maybe you're talking to stepfathers and i know you obviously are a stepfather so you get that part um maybe even a single mother who's like I can't be that person. Um, are, are there applications here for the re- for the resource you provided in these more extraneous circumstances?
1: Yeah. When people sign up, uh, I give them a chance to kind of describe if they have a unique situation. Uh, I send out a survey early on and they can, you know, if they have that, I'm going to customize some of my counsel to them, oh, but cool. just to quickly go over um, single mothers. Uh, I believe there's just extra grace in the Lord's heart. Obviously, the ideal is a rite of passage around age 13. It could be anywhere from 12 to 16 years old, but around age 13. If the father is available at all and willing at all, this can be a tool that the single mother can give to the father and say, please read this, please consider this. Our son needs this. Mm. If that's not possible, you know, there might be an uncle, there might be a, a grandfather, there might be. a a youth pastor at church, there's other ways that she can, other men she can turn to and failing all of that, then it can still be powerful and important for her to do. But I want her to be creative in trying to find a man that can meaningfully go through this experience. That's the better case scenario. A stepdad might feel like, you know, uh, he's second choice. No, not at all he needs to use this as a step to his son. Mm. You know, that's the step toward, not a step away from. This Mm. is something that can close the gap. It can help him be invested in the way he might not have known how to before. And whether his son knows to ask for it or not, a stepdad is critical in this scenario, especially if the biological father is not engaged in the son's life. The stepdad cannot feel like he's second string in this, it's critical. And this gives him the tool and the confidence to do it. So in every one of those scenarios, there's a way to make it work. And I try to speak to each of those when people download the materials.
0: That's amazing. Well, the resource is called BraveQuest. It's mybravequest.com. And Dean, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for your time and your wisdom here today.
1: Thank you. It's been great being with you.
0: Well, I'm so glad we got Dean. Uh, honestly, we we don't really get a lot of people that have created a resource like that. I don't even know if people out there have created resources like this. Um, I wanted to mention a couple things really quick. Dean and I had a chat afterwards, and one thing he actually encouraged uh, the audience was to, uh, if you're a father and you want this for your son, Buy two copies of the book, okay? The first one's for your son so he can go through it. Um, he can have his own private journal. You know, you shouldn't be snooping through that stuff. Like, let it be his. And then you should buy a second copy for yourself for two reasons. One is so that you can go through it and get an idea of what it is that your son's experiencing so that when you have conversations around it, you, you just have a framework and you're gonna be, you're really just gonna have a much richer experience as a father-son uh, dynamic, but then secondly, the reality is we all have fathers and none of them were perfect, and so you might find the content even useful for you as an adult to reflect, to maybe identify areas where there's still some pain or there were some deficiencies that haven't been recovered, and you're gonna get a chance to do that there as well. So this is a fantastic resource, guys. Tons of opportunity for healing and growth. They've made it unbelievably affordable for you as well. And so all you have to do is go to mybravequest.com. We'll put a link in the show notes. It's all there. Highly recommend you get your hands on it. And maybe you're listening to this and you're thinking, you know, I hear you guys talking about being courageous. I hear you guys talking about being men who are strong, men of integrity, and Sathya, I have not been that person. I want to be that person, but I'm struggling with sexual sin. I'm struggling with pornography. There's things in my life that need to get cleaned up so I can be that man to my kids, whether they're currently my kids or it's my future kids one day, whatever it might be, Uh, you have a chance to get some freedom and to get some help now. And the easiest way for you to do that is to book a strategy call with our team. So I'm gonna put a link in the show notes. We set aside time for our podcast audience specifically every single week. And so uh, the link is there. And this will just give you a chance to understand our program more. It'll give us a chance to understand you more and to see if there's a fit, and if it's not, then you know no hard feelings, and at least we got a chance to get to know each other a bit better, and if it is a fit, then we can offer you tools and resources that will literally change your life and help you get the roots uh, addressed so that you can live a life of freedom, a life of confidence, and a life of integrity. So that all starts with the link I put in the show notes um, for you to watch our video, book a time, and then we can chat with you then. Guys, thank you for listening. Have an amazing day. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye.